How and why do people disappear? If you brought somebody in to help you disappear, have you actually disappeared? We will deal with missing persons on a daily basis, so we're the national experts. Every year, over 300,000 reports of a missing person are made to the police. Even if you're not doing anything wrong, you're being watched. You'll go missing, and we'll allow it that you're Don't never found. We are perfectly capable of holding on to important secrets. So who here has an iPhone? Your duly elected representatives have been consistently killed somebody going missing without a trace. I'm not sure. You're not looking for them. You're looking for the information they left behind. I'm Tim Weaver, author of the David Raker series. Over the course of Missing, I'll be investigating how people can vanish in the 21st century and how we find them again. Join me as I speak with experts in forensics, human behaviour, surveillance and investigation, and we look into the art of disappearance. There are 250,000 people reported missing every year, but only about 2,500 stay disappeared. In a world where we're always online, where we've always got a phone in our pocket, where we're leaving a perpetual digital trail, that number still feels high. It's a lot of unaccounted for people. That's like every passenger on five jumbo jets disappearing every year. So what are the ways in which we are being monitored? Are the government and corporations watching our every move every single day? Does technology make it harder to disappear or does it actually make it easier? Is it even possible, do you think, to uh, get to a situation where you can make yourself invisible and leave no trace of yourself? Pretty much. Everything we do now has a footprint to it. As soon as we engage online, nothing we are doing there is private. Nothing at all. I met with Renata Sampson, the chief executive of Big Brother Watch, a campaigning organisation that addresses issues around privacy and civil liberties. This is a vastly complicated area. Um, surveillance is everywhere and is only growing, particularly with enthusiasm for technology, we can't now just say no to it. There is no option to say no to the internet. And as we move forward, the internet will be everywhere. What are the ways in which you might be watched and surveilled during the course of a regular day, from the point you get up in the morning to the point you go to bed at night? Most of us, when we wake up, immediately turn to our mobile telephone, whether it's to turn off the alarm clock or to check the news or to check whatever emails we've received. So we're already pumping out through GPS that we're in bed or, well, we're at home. So we've already engaged, we're already online, we're already being monitored. We may have smart television, in which case we've turned that on, and uh, in which case that's now pumping out information of what we're watching, uh, and feeding that information back to the company and third-party companies who are affiliated with that machine. Or we may have switched on the laptop or the, turned on our tablet and had a scroll through the internet. Uh, we may have made, already made a purchase. We may have bought a train ticket, for example. 
at which case not only are we engaging with that specific company, but we're also engaging with all the companies who work with that company. Uh, again, these called third-party companies, that would be advertisers, uh, tracking companies who want to follow us across every page we go through through the internet, which can be done through cookies. Uh, this is a whole world of things you have to think about and you may want to turn off. So from the minute we open our eyes, if we turn on any form of technology, we are, we're now watched. So we get up, we get dressed, we leave the house, we probably get on a bus, maybe, or a train, uh, or a tube, at which point we may use our Oyster card. It's now pretty hard in London to be able to pay for public transport through cash in your pocket. That's now being tracked, that's now monitored. Your Oyster card, you probably have registered in case you lose it. Um, Good thing, but they now know that you've got on the 38 bus or the whatever bus or tube it is, or your bank now know that you have made a purchase of £2.80 and you're heading off to work. Or maybe you've stopped at the doctor's or maybe you've stopped at the corner shop. Um, If your mobile phone's in your pocket, your location is being pumped out. If you've got an iPhone, you may have your health kit switched on, which is monitoring the steps you take. And remarkably, when you look at it, you can see when you actually stop because you're you're not walking, you're not taking any steps. You arrive at work, you turn on your computer, you're now logged into the works computer system. Uh, You may start making some emails, maybe they're private emails. Don't forget that your email's not private, uh, particularly when you're at work. Your company can access your email. It's not your email. Um, but you might have logged on online. You want to check the news or you may want to make a purchase or whatever it may be. It's all being monitored. You step out to go for lunch, you're caught on CCTV. Obviously, you've been followed on CCTV all the way from when you left your house. Um, You pay at the till with your credit card, probably, or your debit card. That's now stored. You go back to work, carry on your day, make a few phone calls. Your mobile phone is sat on your desk next to you. You haven't turned it off. That's pumping out your location the whole time. Uh, You then decide you're going to go for a quick drink on the way home. Uh, You go to the pub, you stand outside the pub, you'll be spotted on the CCTV within the pub, uh, or maybe the camera that's outside of the pub. And, you know, it's, I mean, I could just go on forever. But the point is, is when you think about it like that, you are followed all the time, all the time, wherever you go. As more and more of us communicate using technology, our communications data is hugely important. Now, the government defined communications data as the who, where, when, what of our communications, not the content. They make that point very, very clearly. So that they won't be able to ac- they won't be able to access the content. They'll just know when a text was sent or when a call was made. That's absolutely right. But the who, where, when, what of our communications is known as our metadata. Our metadata can paint an incredibly accurate picture as to who we are, what we do, how we live our lives, who our friendship groups are, where we work, what we look for online, where we go. Bear in mind, your mobile telephone has been described by someone much cleverer than me as a tracking device that you can make telephone calls with. I am Olivia Allison, and I'm a director at KPMG. 
I am in the corporate intelligence team, which is in our forensic department. If you're talking about financial trails that people are leaving, our department works uh, between corporate intelligence, so the, the tracking down a person or a company or something like that, and then looking at the trails that it leaves behind. You know that people are out there tracing money and, and following the money trails, but you do that as your you know, everyday work. Can you talk a little bit about the technologies that you use to follow that money trail? There's a lot of different technologies that uh, we sometimes use to help trace cash. Um, so it could be using basically any kind of financial information and piecing that together to understand uh, where money and assets have gone. Because we're usually working with courts, um, you will usually have access to information, either the company, for example, if money has been stolen or somebody's been, if somebody's disappeared, uh, you'll have access to that company's accounts. But you also, because of the court process, you'll get access to, you know, bank statements, company service providers, for example, in offshore jurisdictions, um, people who have been administering lots of different companies. Uh, a lot of times, you know, in a, in a big complex fraud, there will be thousands of companies that are linked to, uh, you know, even a few million dollars that go disappearing, you know, little chunks of those will have ended up in various uh, accounts. You won't get all the bank statements for lots of different reasons. You know, there might be a bank statement from Latvia that you don't have or lots of different bank statements from uh, Panama or something like that. But you might see different sides of a transaction. So on any given bank statement, you might see the money's come out from me uh, and it's gone to company X. Uh, and it's a certain amount, $105, let's say, or $105,000, probably a better number. Um, and then on the other side, you'll see a Hong Kong company getting from company Y uh, $105,000 around the same date. And there's you know different types of software that will do matching within certain percentages so that even if you're missing a few links in a chain, you can try to, with a certain degree of accuracy, trace that money. How do police go about requesting data from phone companies? So the police, if they feel as though it's necessary and proportionate, will make a request internally within various different parts of law enforcement, a designated person system and a SPOC system. It's all very complicated. But anyway, they make an internal request expressing why they need to have access to an individual or individual's phone records. That will be approved internally and will then be passed to either a company such as Google, Facebook, Twitter, to name but a few, or to the phone provider, so BT, Vodafone, etc., to access the records of the individuals in question, whether it's the person who's missing or whether it's the person they suspect of the crime. Are there any circumstances in which the that organisation, that service provider, may turn down a request from the police? Yes. Uh, they do turn down requests. Uh, uh, why would that be? Um, they may not feel that the request is valid, uh, that it's not necessary or proportionate. They're two words that are mentioned a lot with regards to surveillance. Um, to monitor an individual's communications, it must be both necessary and proportionate. And there's often a lot of questions as to whether that's actually the case. And how long do phone companies retain this data? Uh, the data is to be retained for 12 months. So that's for law enforcement purposes. And what do they do after 12 months? They literally delete it from their systems, do they? That's what we're told.
just from the numbers are you able to build an idea of, of a person's life and the way they live their life? So there's a wide range of information that you can get to kind of build up a picture of where they've, where they've been. And this is something that KPMG as a company wouldn't do, um, but other there's a lot of different types of consultants in this space. Um, there will be people who, for example, maybe monitor the lifestyle of certain individuals to see if they're living within what would be normal for the amount that they're being paid, particularly if you're looking at the scenario where somebody's holding assets in somebody else's name. Uh, they might have a nominal salary of you know, 50000 a year or something, but be spending a lot more money than would be reasonable on that salary. Um, looking at registration of boats and yachts and uh, things like that. That, I assume, would send alarm bells going through most banking systems. I mean, if you really want to disappear, it's almost better to just keep your suitcase full of cash. So as soon as you put it, in, in your experience, as soon as you put it into the system, you're on the radar. Yeah, I mean, you're on the radar, there's a record, right? And, and you can find out what you've been spending that money on. So, I mean, a BVI bank account or a Latvian bank account still has a name on it. So in a lot of ways, it's really difficult to find out what that name might be. But once we find that out, then we can trace it. Sometimes it's very straightforward. So it could be their wife's name or husband's name. Uh, it could be their brother's or something like that. But it could also be people who are on the face of it, totally unrelated to them. So there have been people, for example, uh, in a particular case in the former Soviet Union, a businessman who had some of his assets registered in a Belarusian farmer's name, you know, and no record of them having met. And so that's very difficult to trace, of course. And what about Switzerland? Is that is that because you hear a lot about about that being a good place to hide things? Historically, and I'm not sure to what degree these things still exist, but, you know, numbered accounts rather than accounts being held in people's names. Uh, I think I think the problem, and I'm sure you've, you're hearing this from lots of other people as part of this, one of the issues is that anything that has your name on it or someone's name on it can be traced. So if you have all your assets in the name of the Belarusian farmer, let's say, um, as soon as we find out his name and we see that connection, then it becomes a lot easier to trace everything that he owns. Um, similarly, if you're using a pseudonym on the internet or something like that, as soon as you find out what that is, you can trace that whole trail. Um, and so anywhere where you have either an ability to put cash into a bank account or you have a no-names version of a bank account, um, you know, for example, the numbered accounts in Switzerland, uh, people showing up in various there's a lot of media reports about people showing up with plane loads of cash into Dubai, for example, and somehow getting that into the bank banking system. So anywhere that you can do that without basically putting it in someone's name, then you're in a, at an advantage. Uh, is it possible to completely disappear? We all have, well, the majority of us have a mobile telephone in our pocket, and a lot of us, that mobile telephone is a smartphone. That smartphone is constantly connected to global positioning systems, GPS. It is feeding out our location all the time. They can pinpoint where we are to almost accurate uh, location. The content is kind of irrelevant. If you know who somebody is communicating with and where that person is when they're making that text message or that phone call, you've pretty much done policing. I mean, that, that sounds like a fatuous thing to say. But you're halfway there to being able to understand a, an individual's movements. I like this question. Um, I think 
Yes, if you want to live by yourself with a lot of cash only, uh, but otherwise it's very, very difficult to, to disappear. I think people like to live with other people and they like to be around other people and anything that you're doing, you're basically leaving a trace. I think if you spend any time on the internet or social media, you're probably aware that your name, location, tweets and phone calls are on a server somewhere. Like me, you probably don't like it all that much, but you accept it as a byproduct of being online in 2015. What I don't think I ever really appreciated was quite how much of a trail we leave online, and how easily and quickly those breadcrumbs are scattered behind us. Essentially, it means that unless you're halfway up a mountain, someone could find out where you are, what you're doing, what you've been searching for online and what ATM you withdrew money from. Which is something worth pausing and thinking about. In fact, do what Renata did. Go back to the time you got up this morning and walk yourself through your day. Pretty eye-opening, right? Suddenly it's enough to make living in a tent in the deep dark woods seem quite appealing. But still, that 1% we keep talking about, that 2,500 people, they're still out there somewhere, unaccounted for. How are they doing it? Because keeping your money in a bag under your bed, dumping your phone, closing all social media accounts and never going on the internet again might mean you don't get discovered online. But there's still 30 million CCTV cameras, fingerprinting and facial recognition technology to worry about. Next week on Missing. It's now part of everybody's daily life. It's becoming normal. Leicestershire police were testing facial recognition software on music fans. If that was on my ticket and I read my terms and conditions, I would question whether or not I wanted to go. All major countries in the world now have automated fingerprint systems. You are effectively donating a sample 